Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Money FM 89.3, welcome to Sustainable Singapore with me, Rianne Lovell Boland. Here in Southeast Asia, one of our favourite pastimes is eating. But what might happen if our beloved durian or fruits such as mango are not as readily available in the future? Well, research by agricultural biotechnology company CropLife Asia has found that nearly 70% of farmers in the region's largest crop-producing countries cite the impact of climate change as a key challenge. So what does this mean for regional food production, food security and the availability of nutritious food imported into Singapore? Joining us on the line to share more on the subject is Tan Siang He, Executive Director of CropLife Asia. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me online. Well, first off, can you share a bit more about CropLife Asia and the work in which you do? CropLife Asia is a non-profit organisation dedicated to promoting plant science. We are part of a global federation, CropLife International, and under CropLife Asia, we have 15 national associations across Asia-Pacific. And collectively, we invest 6.8 billion US dollars in R&D to bring technology related to crop protection, seeds and plant biotechnology into the hands of farmers globally. And we advocate for the use of crop protection, plant biotechnology to contribute to productivity on the farm, doing it sustainably, incorporating both nature and technology. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing that. Now on to the findings. When was the research carried out and how many countries took part? So we carried out this in Q1 of 2021 and we started off with four other countries, Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand and Vietnam. As you know, they are very large agriculture countries and contribute significantly towards the ASEAN food security itself. Yeah. Was there, apart from the statistics that I previously mentioned, was there anything significant that really actually surprised you from the findings? We have noted that you know, climate change has been a, a very challenging topic for many, many years. And we were not surprised with the call out by the farmers that we surveyed during Q1. And especially coming through, you coming from Singapore last week, you saw some really torrential rain. Can you imagine our farmers across Asia Pacific facing that type of climate change? What would they do to their crop productivity and national agriculture economy? Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned there the flash flooding, but what are the other increasing challenges that threaten the livelihoods of farmers in Southeast Asia? Across board. From temperature, you're losing a lot of water today. Temperature, we are seeing new pests and disease coming through. And with rainfall, you're seeing crops destroyed due to flooding. And coming very close to your heart, for example, durian and mango, if you don't have a very distinct dry season, the fruits won't set. So you can imagine what would this do to our normal traditional fruit season that you're seeing and the quality of the food itself. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, that's going to raise questions about how climate change might impact supply chains to Singapore, which currently imports 90% of its food. Yeah, so again, our ministers have been very prudent in a sense. If you look at, we diversify our food crop, meaning we import 41% of vegetables from Malaysia, China, 27%, and we divest out into India, Australia, Singapore, to capture the other percentage and not put all our 
food basket relying on one particular country. Even foods we have imports from Malaysia, China, South Africa, Philippines, Australia. That goes also for the other food products. That's why when you talk to uh, SFA, they are really going through a global sourcing for Singapore because we cannot rely on one particular country. If a particular export of the crop gets impacted, our food chain gets impacted also. Now, let's turn our attention to what sort of support is actually given to these farmers to make their systems more resilient going forward. So the most important thing is a functional regulatory system that allows introduction of technology into the hands of farmers in a much more quicker pace. For example, for crop protection products, we take 13 years to launch a product to the market. It takes additional average 5.6 years before a product gets into the hands of farmers. So that is a very long time a farmer has to wait. And there are other new innovation technology like plant biotechnology, plant breeding innovation. Let me talk about plant breeding innovation. We have a technology that is really launched in the U.S. since 2018 that would help corn or maize plant cope with drought resistance. It's really launched and cultivated in U.S. and Latin America. Yet this technology, because of regulatory delay, it has not been introduced into Asia yet. So why there's a discrepancy when other developed countries are equally embracing the technology? So we need to encourage governments to look forward to newer technology. Apart from that, public sector, if I comment, like International Rice Research Institute, are putting what you call submarine rice that will tolerate rice being submerged for some time. There are other research going for like papaya that will retain some water logging. If not, after a few hours, it will, it will collapse so that our farmers can grow their crop and attain the full harvest and therefore can sell and make a change in their life and also protect the national food security and national agriculture economy. So there are various public and private technologies that's available. And the question is that how do we get them into the hands of the farmers in a timely manner, in an affordable manner also? I want to pick up on that. So what do you think needs to happen for these technologies to be incorporated into Southeast Asia's farms? You said that they are currently in developed countries. What still needs to happen, do you think? I think the, the main part is the regulators needs to come in, expedite the regulation change, putting sound science policy that will enable them to evaluate the technology and approve the technology to come to go to market. Just like when we look at our vaccine, we had very good scientific background. We had the fast-tracking of various technologies because climate does not wait for us. We need to try to help farmers cope with climate adaptation and mitigation. So the call out is we need better, quicker regulatory reform. When it comes to this technology, what are the main trends which you're seeing and developing in this space? So the main trend, for example, is the conservation of agriculture area. For example, in Brazil, with a similar land, they could increase their yield by threefold without opening any new land. You know, on one hand, they're looking at conservating our biodiversity. So with the same technology per square hectare, gives you threefold of view, number one. Number two, with the biotechnology, you are able to conserve soil moisture because we don't have to plow the land after every season, which you used to do, and get 
re-flourish, energizing, re-fertilize the soil by itself. This again, soil conservation at its work with nature. Talking about space issues, do you think that will in the future come to Singapore? Those are much right now a bit more for the grain crop because it requires large agriculture. So, but on the other hand, you look at how last year's COVID, you've seen so many, everybody's going from vertical farming. Those is part and parcel of Singapore's resiliency and diversification of our domestic food security. The other question is feeding mega cities. China has allocated 15% of my agriculture produce will come from rooftop. The rest will come from a certain surrounding 100 kilometers from Beijing. So again, different strategy and equally Singapore has is using the agriculture 30 by 30 plus the newly established agriculture park and etc to manage Singapore's food security long term. And you were going to be sharing more findings from the study throughout the year. Could you give us a little preview of what other areas your research is looking into? We are looking also at um, access to funding, financing, because as you know, smallholders, the basic consideration on land holding is an issue. Then the other piece is labor costs. Bearing in mind, even the plantations today are suffering because of COVID, the lockdown. A lot of migratory workers are no longer feasible to move from Indonesia to Malaysia. That is another piece that is causing a lot of productivity concern. Apart from that, adaptation of mechanization because our aging population of farmers, on the average, our farmers are 70 over years old. So how do we encourage new generations of young people to embrace and come into agriculture. You look at Urban Tealer, it's run by a very young lady in Singapore. So we're seeing a lot of uh, new, young generation and digital agriculture. How does that play a role in sensitizing and enhancing newer manpower to come into the agriculture space? Another piece which is very concerning to you is also women in agriculture. What type of support we need to them? Just bearing in mind, more than 50% of women are in agriculture doing our farming. So we need a different supporting role and want to understand what is their gap, what are they seeing, how can we support them to further enhance their role and step up their productivity also. Yeah, and you mentioned Urban Tiller, Jolene Lum, we've had on this show before. I mean, do you think that you're hopeful to see the changes which you're wanting to see in this space? Well, definitely, because I did almost a aeroponic 2.4 hectares way back in 1998, and I'm a proponent of uh, urban agriculture. I've done it, and I think this is wonderful to see so many young generations, whether it's rice. There's another group that's working on rice in Myanmar. So there are various young agriculture entrepreneurs sprewing up in, in Singapore. That's one part. The second part is young Singaporeans investing in digital agriculture, Singapore is now becoming another regional hub for tech space because we see it as a springboard of technology that we can bring into the rest of the agriculture country that we could test run because we don't have the, the scale to run, but we have the science behind it. We have the young technologies behind it and we have the financial behind it for startups. That's right. And I mean, even if it's not happening right here in Singapore, the influence can be felt around Southeast Asia, which is really great to see. And thank you so much for sharing the findings. 
I've been speaking with Tan Xiang He, Executive Director of CropLife Asia. And do keep in touch and we want to hear more about the findings throughout the year. Thank you very much again. I'm Rianne Lovell-Boland. This is Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.